to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 21, Matthew 18 and we'll start at verse 21 this morning. Thank you, Jesus. We'll also be turning to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 8. came up and said unto him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Mm -hmm. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Matthew chapter 10 verse 8, Jesus speaking to his disciples and he said to them, heal the sick, raise the dead, Cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. I want to focus on that last line. Give as freely as you have received. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, God, for what you have ordained for us this morning from your word. We pray, God, that you would speak to us directly to our hearts, that you would minister to every heart this morning, that forgiveness would flow from you to us and through us to others. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated this morning. In talking about the parables of Jesus over the last few weeks, there's a, a resounding theme that continues throughout all of those parables, and many that we didn't even cover in, in the series we did on the parables of Jesus and the secrets that God reveals. And that, that, that is usually revealed in the opening phrase of most of Jesus' parables when he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he tells a story. The kingdom of heaven is like. Uh, I didn't really go through and count it, but I'm sure it would be a, a large refrain for Jesus to say the words, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he tells what it's like. The reason Jesus is doing this is because he's, he's here to establish, to set up, to build the kingdom of heaven on earth. If you look at the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden was really the kingdom of heaven on earth. God worked through man to establish his kingdom on the earth. Heaven and earth met together and heaven ruled the earth through man as man was submitted and yielded to God. We were God's ambassadors. We were God's emissaries. We were his, his uh, proxies by which he released and, and dictated his authority into the world that he created. But when man sinned, he took that authority into his own hands and no longer was the world ruled by God through man, but now it was ruled by man through man and the, the authority was now given to another, to Satan and his kingdom. And so when Jesus comes, he even said things like, when I cast out the devils out of people, I do so with the finger of God. With the finger of God, I'm, I'm casting out, I'm, I'm, I'm moving out the kingdom that is 
to bring into a kingdom that is not. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and his opening refrain of the prayer is not, God, forgive me of my sins. It's not, God, forgive me of what I've done wrong and, and cleanse me and, and I worship you. It was uh, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Yeah. The, the phrase, hallowed be your name, we, we often just say it, but really it means make your name holy. Father in heaven, make your name holy on the earth. Let your kingdom come. Your will be done. You ever thought why Jesus changed the pattern of prayer from the Old Testament to the New? In the Old Testament, the pattern of prayer began with praise. I will enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. The next thing you did when you were in the Old Testament is you brought a sacrifice for your sins and you laid it down at the brazen altar and they, they would sacrifice your animal and you would repent of your sins and then, then they would wash in the labor of water and it would wash away the stain of the blood or the shame of the sin and then you would enter into the holy place and, and, and the, the, the priest would minister at the, at the lampstand representing the light of God and, and minister at the table of showbread ministering, uh, representing the words of God and then he would then offer worship at the worship uh, station at the incense and then he would be allowed to make petitions to God for what he needed or what he desired at the throne. But Jesus changes the pattern of prayer completely in the New Testament. He doesn't start with praise. He doesn't start with repentance. He starts with a request for God's kingdom to be made known on the earth, for God's name to be made holy above every other name in the earth. That's the opening line, the opening refrain, the opening request of Jesus' prayer. Why did Jesus change the pattern of prayer? What happened to that Old Testament tabernacle plan of, of, of praising and repenting and, and worshiping and reading the word and spirit? And there's nothing wrong with that particular pattern. But the reason why Jesus starts from the, from the inside and works his way out is because in the New Testament, we're to start on the inside. The veil has been rent. So the Lord even tells us in Hebrews, come boldly before the throne of grace. Come boldly before the throne of grace. Amen. While, while it's good to repent and, and it's needful, it's what we need to do. The, 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 the baseline of prayer for the believer that has been washed in the blood of Jesus, that's been filled with the Spirit, is to begin in the throne room of grace. Amen. And make petitions for the world and for the kingdom to be established. Amen. Amen. So we come to kingdom life. Kingdom life. Jesus wants us to live a life in a new kingdom. And when you live in a new kingdom, you live under a new set of laws. You live under a new set of rules. You live under a new new way of, 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 of acting and and transactions are new. When you move from one country to another, you often have to relearn things that you thought were givens. You, you understand that, that even currency is different. You, you, you get the sense that laws are different in different countries. Culture is different in different culture, countries. What, what is acceptable here is not acceptable in Japan. 
what, what, is, what is tradition and what is normal here is not tradition or necessarily normal in, let's say, India or Kenya or any other country in the world. You're going to find a difference of culture, a difference of law, a difference of, uh, of operating because you're in a different domain. You're in a different kingdom. And so it is. Believers of Jesus Christ need to live in a different way because we're part of a different kingdom. Yes. yes. Amen. So, Peter comes to Jesus with his Jewish kingdom. And he comes to Jesus in Matthew 18 and he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, Jewish custom was three times. That was max. Just same offense, same person, three strikes and you're out. So Peter comes to Jesus and Peter in Peter's brain he's like, man, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna like double plus one. This would be like Baker's Baker's dozen, you know? You know the Baker's dozen is twelve donuts plus one? It's that little extra Baker throws in because you're a regular customer. Peter's like, I'm going to do the baker's dozen forgiveness. I'm going to, I'm going to throw in a, a double plus one. Man, I'm going to be in Jesus' good book. So, so Jesus, uh, how many times should I forgive? Should it be as many as seven? And Jesus said to him, I do not say unto you seven times, but seventy times seven. Not, not seven times, Peter. 70 times 7, which consequently works under 490 times. 490 times a day you're to forgive your brother. 490 times a day are you to forgive your brother. That means in the span of about 24 hours, you're forgiving him every three minutes. Every three minutes in 24 hours, right? And most of you aren't awake for 24 hours. Right. So, so uh, you know, you're probably forgiving them every 30 seconds, yeah. something like that. Uh, Peter's, Jesus is making the point. It's not a literal number. Right. It's figurative. Yeah. You couldn't possibly forgive somebody every 30 seconds. They wouldn't even have time to offend you that much right. in a day. Well, someone would get exhausted. Right? Either he'd get bored of offending you, or you'd get tired of forgiving him and just punch his lights out. Whatever it was, it would end somewhere along the line. So Jesus is basically saying, there is no limit, Peter. Amen, amen, the amen. kingdom life does not put a limit on forgiveness. He'd been, Peter had been taught as a good Jewish boy that three was the max. So he added three to that plus one and thought, man, I'm going to be really good. And Jesus is like, sorry, Peter, in the kingdom, there is no lid on the forgiveness jar. There is no lid on the forgiveness jar. But that, that raises a number of significant questions. That raises a number of significant, significant concerns for the believer because we've all been offended to varying degrees of offense. Some as minor as you left the cupboard doors open again. Or uh, the common offense in the kitchen at my house is there's peanut butter smeared on everything. <laughs> it's my fault, really. I love peanut butter. So my wife knows who, when she sees peanut butter smear on the wall, she's like, how, how do you, like, what, how does it get from the wall, from the toast to the wall? Like, what, 
what do you do? Do you like stand, spin in a circle when you're eating your peanut butter? Like, how does peanut butter get? That's, so it can be as minor as, as a smear of peanut butter in the kitchen. And can be as major as uh, some kind of physical abuse or betrayal. Or, or a, a mistreatment of leaders. And, and in, uh, in January this year when we had our Q&A, which we'll do again before the year's over. One of the questions that got turned in that I, I didn't have the, the skill or the, the wherewithal to answer, but I plan on addressing it somehow in some way, was do you believe in spiritual trauma? Do you believe in trauma that can happen to you in a church from perhaps, I got the, uh, the impression of the question that it was about leaders, that leaders can, can impose some kind of a traumatic experience on churchgoers and, and, and in answer to that simply the answer is yes I believe people can undergo spiritual trauma from their leaders from the ones that were were charged to care for them as a shepherd Jesus said not as lords over them but caring for them meeting their needs ministering to them and and some take that and and either do it un, unknowingly or knowingly they they abuse or mistreat those underneath them, and that causes trauma. And so you're saying to me, Pastor, that if someone traumatically hurts me 490 times in one day, I am to forgive them. Really, start asking me that question and start asking Jesus, because right. Jesus answered the question. Indeed, yes. Forgiveness is something that you must give to that individual. <clears throat> Amen. Jesus said it to his disciples, give as freely as you have received. But pastor, I never, I didn't traumatize Jesus. I didn't traumatize him. I didn't do anything to, 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 to in, in, uh, occur offense or trauma against him. No, maybe not directly. But he did go through trauma on the cross to pay for your sins. Right. He did take on your shame. And he did it willingly. Before you ever repented, he went to the cross and went through the trauma of the cross for you. So as freely as you've received, you need to give. But let's talk about forgiveness. And, and uh, the kingdom life is defined by seeking for forgiveness and offering forgiveness. <clears throat> There's a difference between reconciling to somebody and forgiving them. There's a difference between building that relationship again to the point where it was before and forgiving them for what they did to cause the damage to the relationship in the first place. There is a difference. You can forgive somebody and not necessarily trust them again. Because trust is something that's earned. Trust is a way you, you protect yourself. And, and, and you, can, you can refrain from trusting somebody but still extend kindness and forgiveness to them. And you can forgive them in your heart to where you could even pray for God to bless them again. So let's go through this. Let's talk, let's talk about this. We're not talking about putting yourself in a situation to be 
hurt over and over again. We're not talking about you placing yourself as a doormat for somebody to walk on or treat you in a certain way. But let's talk about, for, for most of us, the traumatic kinds of forgiveness are not are not uh, repeated events in life. They're, by repeated event, events, I mean it's not something you're going to necessarily face every single day. Is one traumatic thing after another. Most people, I would say, would face maybe five to ten traumatic things in their life or large offenses. Some more. I know it's it's not it's not. Uh, there's no paintbrush that you can swatch everybody with. But most of us, we're going to just face the day-to-day -day forgivenesses that, that cause us to stumble. Matthew 18, Jesus gives us the way in which to handle that, that conflict. Number one is to conceal the matter. Conceal the matter. Step one of forgiveness towards someone to deal with an offense is concealing the matter. Jesus said, go to that person between you and that and other individual privately. Don't go to your friend first and say, how do you think I should handle this? If there's a conflict, go to the person with which there is a conflict and deal with it privately. Now, sometimes you need counsel for, for large situations, and, and that's fine. But, but it should be something that is concealed and contained, not something that's exposed and revealed. You don't go talking to everybody about your conflict, your problem, what this person did to you, what that person did to you. Go to the person directly and deal with the conflict. Second, if that doesn't work, Jesus said, then bring somebody with you. If, if they won't listen, if they won't hear you out, then seek for restoration and go get someone and bring them along with you. If that doesn't work, then leave them in the hands of God. How do you do that? You bring it before your spiritual leaders, the elders of the church. If the sin is serious enough, the pastor or the, the church elders get involved in confronting the wrongdoer, the one who does the wrong. And if they don't repent, they're to be treated like a sinner who is unrepentant. The level of sin is now greater than an argument or a disagreement. The level of sin in this case would be something of, of a traumatic situation. But people often use the phrase, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm among them. We use that a lot. I hear a lot of people talk about that in a small church service, right? They want to feel better about the smaller crowd that's there. So they say, well, you know, where two or three are gathered in his name, he's present in the midst. And that's true. That's true for sure. But he's also present with you when you're all by yourself, worshiping him alone in your home. You don't need two people to have a move of God. You can have a move of God all by yourself. So this verse is not talking about a worship service. This verse is talking about reconciliation and forgiveness. It's in Matthew 18. And Jesus said, where there's two or three gathered together in the context of conflict resolution and forgiveness, I am present in the midst of them to help resolve the conflict. What did Jesus say? In Matthew 6.33, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. When you make the step towards forgiveness, Jesus is present with you to give you everything you need in that moment. 
He's not present with you while you're thinking about going to forgive them. He's not present with you before you get there. He's present with you when you're in the middle of the situation. Jesus' help comes when you make the action step. And I don't mean that he's absent from you in those moments. I'm just saying his help is present for you when you actually take steps towards forgiveness. Praise God. Let's look at a case study. Matthew 18, 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, here's the parable, a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him of the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus uncovered so much truth about forgiveness in this story that I want to help unpack with you this morning. The first step is what we call the process of forgiveness. The process of forgiveness. Now keep in mind, the story of the unmerciful servant is like a mirror that you hold up to your life. Everything that Jesus, when Jesus is telling a story, he's trying to get you to look into a mirror and to see yourself in the story. And in the story, the king is obviously God, and you are depicted as the unmerciful servant. When you look into the mirror of the parable, everybody in this room, when we look into the mirror, we all see ourselves. Our face is the face of the unmerciful servant. Now, sometimes we do the wrong thing when we approach the parables of Jesus. We look into the parable, the mirror of the parable, and we see the face of somebody else. Oh, Jesus is talking. That that person there, they, they really need to hear this story. You ever, you ever been sitting in church and you think, Man, I wish so-and-so was here today. They really need to hear Maybe I'll send them a podcast link after church is over. Uh, and, and what you've done is you spent the whole service looking at somebody else's law. You failed to see your own face in the mirror. Everyone, when, you look, when I look in the face of this mirror called a parable, I see my face. Not the face of another, but I see my face. And my face is in the face of the unmerciful servant. Forgiveness is something that God expects us to have because it's something that he's freely given. Amen. Now one thing you have to understand is forgiven can only be 
Forgiving can be, forgiveness can be extended, but it cannot be received until the person repents. Forgiveness can be extended by the forgiver, but it cannot be received until that person repents. Do you understand what I mean? I can extend forgiveness to you, but until you repent of the sin and come to terms with what you've done, you cannot receive the benefits and the freedom that forgiveness offers. I've had people who've done wrong to me, and I would say they're relatively minor wrongs. And I've forgiven them from my heart, and I extend that forgiveness because when I see them at an event, I hug them on the shoulders and say, hi, how you doing? hope everything's well with you. Now, we don't have long conversations. I don't respond to many of their, their, their Facebook messages they might send me from time to time because we're just, we're not friends. We're acquaintances and brothers and sisters of the Lord. If they, they actually reached out because they needed something, I'd probably reach back. I'd probably try to respond as appropriate to that. But, but there is a bit of a distance between us. Why? Because the trust is no longer there. That I can't trust them with my life anymore because of the way they handled our relationship. So forgiveness is extended. And they've even, they've even sent me happy birthday messages. And I just say, oh, thank you. Thank you. But that happy birthday message doesn't mean much because forgiveness hasn't been received. Because they have yet to repent of what they did. So, so it's not that forgiveness wasn't extended, but forgiveness was not received. Forgiveness can be extended without being received because the person who's receiving forgiveness actually has to go, you know what, I was wrong when I did that. I see what I did. Because what happens when someone humbles themselves to say those, those three words, I was wrong? What does that do to your heart? Instantly, there's something from your heart that reaches out to them that says, it's okay. Right. I mean, for the most part. I'm talking about average con conflicts, the everyday conflict, yeah. the heart reaches out to go, that's okay, right. let's be friends again. Yeah. What's happened? Forgiveness was extended, then forgiveness was received, now we have reconciliation. If someone does not repent, they cannot receive the forgiveness that's been offered. How do we expect that to happen any less? Because God doesn't expect any less. Yes, he died so that the whole world can be saved, but the whole world cannot be saved unless you first repent. Unless we, we preach that. You cannot receive forgiveness of your sins until you have repented of those sins and you have been baptized in his name and received the Holy Ghost. That, that completes the reconciliation of your relationship with God. So if that person does not repent, they cannot receive the forgiveness that's being offered. So everything up until that point of repentance is now called mercy. It's called mercy. When they reach out for help, but they have not yet repented, and you extend that help to a degree, that's called mercy. When God moves on you 
even when you, you know what it's like when you haven't repented of something, but you still feel the love of God. Yes. You still feel the presence of God. You go up and you, you, you breathe in those fresh flowers from your garden, or you bite into the apple, and it's juicy and sweet, and you go, oh, this is so nice, and it ministers to you in a certain way. That is the mercy of God that reaches out to you. Amen. That is the love of God that reaches out to you. And Jesus even said to be careful uh, with, the, with the, the little children, because their angels are ever before the face of of the Father. They're all always present before God. And what Jesus is, is alluding to or showing us is that every believer, everyone who's been baptized is considered a little child in the kingdom of God. And everybody, there's an angel that watches over you. There's an angel that God stations over you. And regardless of how you're acting or living, if you're living like the devil or you're living like Jesus, it doesn't matter. The angel of the Lord is always watching over and present and there to help. What is that? Is that is that God approving of your life? No, it's the mercy of God reaching for that lost soul. It's the mercy of God. It's not the forgiveness of God. It's not the approval of God. It's the mercy of God that reaches out. Amen. Amen. That's why Jesus said to pray for those who despitefully use you because they need the mercy of God. If it wasn't for God's mercy, you would be lost and would never get your way back. You'd never find your way back to the kingdom of God. You'd never find your way back into a relationship with God because it's the mercy of God that reaches past the point of expectation. That's why Jesus said to Peter, forgive them 70 times, seven times, because it's the forgiveness, it's that mercy that's reaching out to to extend forgiveness to the one. Jesus did not forgive anybody on the cross. I've heard people, people preach that. Oh, see, Jesus, you got to forgive people from the cross because Jesus forgave people from the cross. Jesus didn't forgive anybody from the cross. Jesus prayed for their forgiveness. Right. There's a big difference. Mm. Jesus didn't say, oh, Father, I forgive them for what they're doing. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Extend forgiveness to them. Let mercy reach beyond the, the veil and push past the, 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 the brazen altar and the laver of water and the tabernacle. Let it reach out into this very moment. Father, forgive them. Let mercy reach them yes. so they don't know what they're really doing. So there's the process of forgiveness. It usually begins with the uncovering what you might even call the rebuke. Offenses are a lot like debts. The servant's debt was 10,000 talents. What is a talent? It, a talent was a weight of money. In those days, money was not uh, labeled as much as it was weighed. You weighed the money. And the talent was a weight of money, and it was the largest weight of money. Usually, in order for you to obtain the weight of a talent of money, uh, you, would, you, would, uh, you would probably work for an entire year in your uh, middle class job to earn the money of a talent. And you couldn't spend any of it. You couldn't you know, spend a little for your groceries or mortgage or whatever you had. Whatever you obtained, if you were to just amass all of that money, Right? Wouldn't it be nice if 
All the money you earned all year was in your hand at the end of the year, right? Yes, yes. But often you find you're not really holding that, that large sum that you worked for because you had to pay for things and spend it on things, and then you, you bought a few extras along the way. And so you don't end the year with the money you worked for because you've spent it throughout the year. But if you were to hold on to that money, according to the, 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 the talent, it would be somewhere in the vicinity of today's currency of $3.4 million. One talent. Well, I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, 10,000 talents would be in the vicinity of $3.4 million. Now, if you were talking about a gold talent, because you could have a silver, a bronze, a, you could have a Roman talent, a Jewish talent, based on the currency. But if you went to the highest currency, let's say it was a gold talent, 10,000 gold talents would be $113 million in Canadian funds today. But let's go to a little ball. Let's just say it was 10,000 Roman talents. $3.4 million is what this guy owed the king. This was enough to get everyone going, there's no way he could ever repay that. Right. He couldn't live 10,000 lifetimes, 10,000 years, because one talent is the amount of a year's wages. Mm -hmm. He could not live 10,000 years and pay off that debt. This is an insurmountable debt. A debt that could not be paid and could not be erased, could not be worked down. He could not get enough raises. He couldn't ascend the highest ladders of the social society to earn this kind of money. It was impossible for a slave or a servant to pay off this kind of debt. Do you see your face yet in the mirror? You're the servant with the insurmountable debt. I'm the servant of the king with the debt that I could not ever pay. If I lived 10,000 lives, I could not repay Hallelujah. this debt. The, the offense is now in the open. The king makes it clear. He puts it, he shows him the ledger sheet. Before, there was just this sense of, I owe a lot of money to the king. Mm -hmm. But now, the money has been accounted for. Now, the ledger is before his eyes, and he sees the offense has been uncovered. This is often the process we have to go through when, when getting forgiveness and extending forgiveness. We've got to un uncover the offense. And our debt in the eyes of God is like this servant of the king. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, The wages which sin pays is death, but the bountiful free gift of God is eternal life through in union with Jesus Christ our Lord. The debt we have is insurmountable to the king. Mm. And so like the servant, we fall on our knees. In Matthew 18, 26, it says, The servant fell on his knees, imploring him, the king, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. The debt is mine. I acknowledge it. I'm responsible to pay it. It's my responsibility to make this right. I accrued this amount of money. I acted in a way that offended and hurt you. And, and so this is now the repentance or the works phase. The verbal apology and repentance is given in this stage. And there's a desire for restitution. 
There's a recognition that, that, that the wrong has been made and it needs to be made right. This is the part where it's not up to you. It's your part to uncover and extend, but it's the, other, the offender's part to repent and to acknowledge and to be willing to make it right. And then there's the forgiveness phase. So if you've been tracking with me, there's the, there is the uncovering phase, there is the repentance phase, and then there's the forgiveness phase. The king recognizes there's no possible way you could pay off this debt. There's no possible way you could work enough years. You're taking responsibility. That's good, but let's just be honest. You're never going to be able to pay this debt back in your entire life. Right. And so the king looks at the man and says, there's no way you could do enough good to make this right. There's no way you could pay me enough money to turn this around. There's no way you could do enough good acts to, to restore what has been taken from me. So in order to prevent you from having to be in a lifetime of servitude to never actually pay down a large percentage on this debt, I'm going to forgive you and release you of the debt. Right. The man was repentant, willing to make the wrong right, but it was not possible on his end. So the king extended mercy and forgiveness and made the impossible possible. The man was willing but unable, but the king was willing and able, so he reached down and extends forgiveness. Forgiveness freed the man of an impossible debt that he had, that he tried to do it his own way. You may have experienced this. Someone does you wrong, but never actually apologizes for it. Right? They never they never actually apologize for it, but they might try to do nice things for you, you know, a few months later to, to kind of you know break the tension. They might offer you something to try to get back into relationship with you without dealing with that 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 unspeakable thing that was done, that that hurt or that offense. And it's you feel that that you ever, I don't know how to describe it other than it's slimy. Because there's an elephant in the room. Right. And it's kind of hard to walk into a room with an elephant. You can't really walk in. The reason why they say the elephant in the room is because you can't really ignore an elephant. Right. And if you try to, you're just going to make the elephant angry. He's going to swat you. He's going to. You're going to bump into him. You're not going to be able to walk through the elephant to get to the other side of the room. But sometimes when people are, are, are know they've done wrong or get the sense, hey, there's something not right with our relationship, instead of dealing with the, the offense and saying, I'm sorry, I did wrong, because then at that point you can extend forgiveness, then the elephant can get moved back to the zoo, you can release the elephant into the wild, and then you have the whole room to yourself again. But oftentimes people try to, to pay off the debt of their wrongdoing with a nice thing. I've had people even offer me uh, uh, offer me large purchase items and say, hey, I, 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 they never acknowledge that we're not friends anymore. They never acknowledge the wrong that was done, but they'll say, hey, you know, I, I want to I do this nice thing for you. And I'm like, it's okay. Thanks anyways. It's okay. Because it, as far as I'm concerned, you can't pay the debt mm. without repenting right. of the wrong. Mm -hmm. When the repentance is offered, the debt is paid. 
But until repentance is made, true forgiveness cannot be complete. The exchange is not complete. It's extended on my part, but the other party has to be willing to repent to make the transaction complete. Forgiveness freed the man of an impossible debt. Some offenses can never be paid for. Let's just be honest. Some, some hurts and wounds, there's nothing that person could ever do to take back the wrong that was done. There's nothing they could say to make up for what they did. There's nothing that they can give you. There's nothing that they could give your family. There's no money. You know, you often hear these court cases where there was a, a, a major crime committed and, and the family sues for X amount of money. Uh, my my, my in-laws experienced that recently. There was a tragic car accident with one of the family members. She was taken away. She was she was killed at the scene of the, the accident. And, and the, there was a, a settlement that was given. And the settlement, there was money given to all the family members as a settlement because it was a hit and run type situation. But, it, you know, even with the money that comes and it was a large sum of money, it was like, oh, this is, this is weird money. You know, and it feels weird. And they had to, I heard my in-laws talking about they had to make peace with the fact that they're getting money for the loss of their relative. And it just, it feels weird because, it's, it's, I mean, it, sure, great, nice, we can maybe pay something down. That's, that's great. But it doesn't actually replace the person. It doesn't, it doesn't, because there's some things that are done, you just cannot replace it. You cannot make up for it. You can't go back and erase what was done. You cannot give enough money or enough gifts or enough nice things to pay off the debt. It's the same thing with you and God. You had an insurmountable debt that you could not do enough righteous acts. You couldn't do enough good things. And the king had to enforce the debt and then pay for it himself. Once the king was had forgiven the debt, now he can move on to other matters. He can begin the process of trusting this servant again. Jesus is trying to highlight the primary reason for showing mercy. It's because we've been shown mercy. Yes, sir. The primary reason for you to forgive is because you have been forgiven. Amen. The biggest reason, the, the biggest reason is not, not to get the other person off the hook. Forgiveness does not release the other person from what they did. Forgiveness does not minimize what you went through. If anything, forgiveness gives honor to what you went through. Forgiveness acknowledges to the greatest degree what you experienced, what you suffered. When you forgive, you have to come face to face with what that person did. There has to be acknowledgement. There has to be recognition. There has to be repentance for that forgiveness to be complete. That doesn't diminish or minimize what wrongs were done for you. That acknowledges and elevates and brings to the surface those things that were done to you. But the most important reason for you to extend forgiveness is because you have been forgiven. We've got to look at ourselves as the one who had the debt that could never be paid. We have to look at our life and see that though our sins were as scarlet, now they are white as snow. Even though we had no money, he offered us a drink and offered us choice wine and milk, according to Isaiah 55, 11. 
And, and as Hebrews 8 verse 12 says, God says, I will never again remember their sins. God makes it so that when we repent of our sins, he wipes them from, from his memory and makes it as though we had never sinned in his eyes. The Bible tells us that God will not stay angry with his people forever because he delights in showing unfailing love. Amen. And so the servant received forgiveness, that which he did not deserve, that which he did not earn, that which he did not, he did not obtain himself, but it was freely given to him. But listen to the actions of that same servant. He goes out and he seizes a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a hundred denarii is equivalent today to fifteen dollars. Fifteen bucks. In today's currency, a hundred denarii is fifteen dollars. The Bible says that this unmerciful servant or wicked servant takes the guy who owed him 50 bucks and puts him into jail to be tortured by the jailers until he could repay 15 dollars i hope you still see your face in the position of the unmerciful servant i know i do because god wants you to see how he sees your offenses your offense to God is worth $3.4 million. But the offense that you've taken from your brother or sister or the person you're close to in your life is worth about $15 in God's economy. The king forgave him of his $3.4 million debt. He no longer had to pay mortgage with interest. He didn't have to make payments. His, his paycheck wasn't, wasn't uh, what do they call it, uh, uh, you know, deducted, or deducted automatically. There wasn't, there wasn't a lien on his house. There wasn't a lien on his car. There was no financial impositions put on him. His bank accounts weren't locked. Everything was open, and he went to the guy who owed him $15 and put him in jail. And so the king arrested this man. And the Bible says he unforgave the debt of the wicked servant mm -hmm. because he was unwilling to freely give as he had freely received. Although the Bible speaks of things like the unpardonable sin about blaspheming the Holy Spirit of God, unforgiveness is perhaps the most unforgivable sin in the Scripture. It's the only sin that I can find that if you give unforgiveness a placehold in your life, it reverses the work of the cross and unforgives all the debts that God has previously forgiven you of. It's the only thing that can sponge away the blood of Jesus from what I can see. Because Jesus even said, if you are unwilling to forgive your brother from your heart, then God will be unwilling to extend forgiveness to you. Remember the Lord's Prayer. We talked about it at the beginning of this message. Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer with, Let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
Another way to translate that is forgive us to the degree that we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive me, God, as quickly as you forgive as I forgive those who wrong me. God, as soon as I sin, would you forgive me as quickly as I forgive those who trespass against us? Let's make no mistake, forgiveness is not free. It cost Jesus his life. It gave, he gave his everything to extend forgiveness to you. And so there's, there's nothing here minimizing what you've gone through, what you've experienced, and the price it will cost you to extend that forgiveness to somebody who's done you wrong. But if we want to be forgiven, we must forgive. If we want to receive freely from God, that means we must freely extend that forgiveness to somebody else. I'm not here to minimize a trauma you've been through. By virtue of the question that was asked in January, I'm aware somebody in here, somebody in this church just statistically has experienced unspeakable trauma to which you have my deepest empathy And whatever degree of love or care I can show you as a pastor to help you with that, it's there. The understanding of the struggle to forgive that kind of wrong is unsurmountable. And I I fully empathize and come alongside you and I weep with you as you weep over that trauma and over that wrongdoing. But you will experience No kind of freedom in your life until you extend forgiveness for that. And sometimes you need help to extend that forgiveness. Sometimes you need professional help. And if that's the case, please get it. Do yourself the favor. Do be good to yourself and get the help you need to extend the forgiveness to that individual, to that person. Pray. And ask God to give you the heart to forgive those who have wronged you. Pray and ask God for the strength you need to forgive those. Unforgiveness often feels so good. Often it feels like, man, they made this fence. They need to come and clean this up. They they did this to me. And so they need to come. But what that does is it puts power in the hands of another to keep you trapped in a state of unforgiveness. I mean, it'd be great if everyone that tagged a building with their spray paint came along the next day and said, so sorry, let me restore the building to its proper use. Let let me actually make something... Would you like me to make this this nasty-looking graffiti into something of a work of art, beautiful? Because you can make spray paint look nice if you do it right. It would be really great of that person to come and apologize and say, you know what, I can't clean it, but I'll pay for the damages. And I'll, I'll, I'll not only pay for the damage to your building, but I'll pay you for the suffering you have to go through to deal with this problem in your life. That would be really great, right? That that would go a long way to extend repentance to that person. But oftentimes, the the person who puts the graffiti on the wall 
even if they're caught, never comes back to actually remove it. Who has to remove the graffiti from the wall that has been painted? It's often the owner of the building. If they want the building to be restored to what it was, they have to do the work to remove the stain that was put there. For some of you, it wasn't your fault that someone came and spray painted your life with the blackness of their acts that they did to you. But it is your life. And you owe it to yourself to remove the stain of what they did by forgiveness. Forgiveness removes the graffiti off your life. Forgiveness, uh, unforgiveness feels self-righteous. Right? They, they did this. It's just and right for them to come back. But unforgiveness is disguised. It's disguised in the sense of righteousness and justice. Forgiveness is mercy. Extending, saying, you know what? I'll clean up this mess. And I'll extend forgiveness to you. You still have to repent. You still have to, and in some cases, yeah, you know what? You should really pay for this, the damages that were done. That would be great. If you did that, I would accept that, and we'll call it square. If it's in your power to do it, then definitely needs to be done. You break the window, yeah, you should probably fix it. But if they don't, forgiveness is going and putting the new pane of glass in the window and saying, I'm not going to be held back. You could leave the graffiti there. But you know what they say? When you leave graffiti on a building, it tells all the other graffiti artists they don't actually care about what happens to this building. And someone else will come along and mark the building. Forgiveness is self-care. It takes care of you. It removes the stain. It extends the hand of forgiveness. And what did Jesus say? Where two or three are gathered together in my name in this process of reconciliation and forgiveness. Wherever you fall, and as much as it depends upon you, according to Romans, it says, live at peace with all men. Have you done everything? If you've done everything, you've removed the stain, you've forgiven them, then to the point where you can pray, God, would you bless this person? Pastor, you're asking me to pray a blessing on the person that deeply wounded and affected my life. You know what the best kind of blessing would be for them? Wouldn't it be for them to get a new job with a bigger paycheck? The best kind of blessing for them would be repent of their sins, get baptized in Jesus' name, and have all the sins they committed to you, and by the way, the sins they've committed to themselves and to others around them. Not just you. To be completely forgiven for all of eternity. That would be the best blessing. The best blessing that person could ever receive is the ability to repent of their sins. Amen. Often those who do great trauma to others have lost their ability to repent. Mm -hmm. So the best blessing you could pray over that person is God restore to them the ability to repent of their sin, to see themselves. Show them in your mercy. 
bring them to the end of themselves so that they have to come face to face with themselves. And God, when they get to that point, don't let them be so overwhelmed by their own sin that they cannot see your love and mercy reaching down to rescue them from the pit that they're in. If that's the kind of prayer you can pray for the one that you has wronged you, then you are on the way to being able to forgive that person for their sin. I know this isn't a shouting and jumping and, and, and high energy message, but this is kingdom life. Amen, amen, amen. This is kingdom life. You owe it to yourself to forgive. You owe it to yourself to go through the work required to forgive the one who wronged you. We stand this morning. I don't know where you are on the journey of forgiveness. I don't know where you are today in your offenses and the wounds that have hurt you, but don't, don't go on through your life holding on to something that was done wrong. Pray and ask that God would not even account it to their charge. Pray and ask God if he would hold back justice from them and extend mercy to their wrongdoing. Pray and ask God to give you the heart that would reach out to them. If they were truly in need and you saw them in need, would God give you the love and the heart to help them in some way that would extend mercy to their condition? I wonder if we can make, find a place to prayer this morning because this is a spiritual issue. Forgiveness is a spiritual thing. Forgiveness is not something you can do on your own. Jesus is present with you in the position of forgiveness. Don't go through your life holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness for something that someone did to you, maybe even years ago. Maybe, maybe it's not even possible. Maybe they're dead. They've passed away. It's not even possible to reconcile with them. But you can forgive them and release that unforgiveness. You can pray a very simple prayer that says, Father, this is what this person did to me, and you can describe it to God in detail. And I now forgive and release them of everything they did. I forgive and release them of the offense that I've held on to, and I repent for being unforgiven. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, and help me to be washed from the stain. Some stains are easy to remove, like a dry erase marker. You just wipe it and it's gone. Some stains require a lot more work. Commit today to go through the process necessary. If you need help to get in touch with a professional Christian counselor, I can help you find one that will, will walk you through that journey. You might need that. Go through it. Don't, don't, don't hold on to this anymore. Don't, don't let this hold you back any longer because it stops the hand of mercy in your own life. You need the mercy of God. You are still in need of God's forgiveness. Don't stop up the compassionate flow of God's mercy in your life through unforgiveness. But find freedom in forgiveness this morning. We find a place of prayer as we sing and, and talk to the Lord. Let's just find a place to talk to Jesus about our heart this morning.